Hello, and welcome to Silk Road Rising's In Dialogue, a podcast dedicated to the lively exchange of ideas and experiences. Silk Road Rising is a community-centered, art-making, and art-service organization rooted in Asian, Middle Eastern, and Muslim experiences. Through live theater, digital media, and arts education, we challenge disinformation, cultivate new narratives, and promote a culture of continuous learning. I'm your host, Jamil Corey, co-founder and co-executive artistic director of Silk Road Rising. On this episode of In Dialogue, I'm continuing the conversation with my dear friend, colleague, and collaborator, Dr. Michael Malik-Najjar, Associate Professor of Theater Arts at the University of Oregon. This is the sixth of nine conversations I'm having with Malik, exploring the Arab American and Middle Eastern American theater movements. In our previous episode, we grappled with the question, what is the difference between Arab American and Middle Eastern American? In this episode, we're diving into the question, how do we know if it's a Middle Eastern American play? This conversation was recorded on August 22nd, 2019. Welcome, Dr. Michael Malik-Najjar. Actually, it's great that you're asking this because I'm working on a book about Middle Eastern American theater. And I came to five criteria, if you will. Um, One is the return to the homeland play. This is the play about somebody who grew up in the United States, but wants to know more about their culture. So they go back to the homeland and they go through a series of trials and tribulations and they come back with a greater knowledge, sometimes a positive, uplifting knowledge and sometimes a very painful uh, knowledge that, that makes them have a deeper love and understanding of their culture, but also a sort of sadness. The second are persecution plays, plays about being a Middle Eastern American in the United States and being persecuted by the government mainly or by other uh, non-Middle Easterners for your religion, your beliefs, your traditions, etc. The third would be a diaspora play, a play about growing up in this country or living in this country and dealing with being a Middle Eastern American, the the racialization issues, the ethno-religious issues that come up, the the idea of assimilation or integration or isolation that may be a part of your community. Another one is plays that are set in the homeland, so plays written by Middle Eastern Americans but set in Israel, set in Palestine, set in Lebanon, set in Syria. Whatever it may be, uh, these are plays that, that literally take place in those contexts with characters that are from that place. And it's really a kind of translation of what life must be like for those people there through the lens of a Middle Eastern American playwright. And lastly, there's a large body of plays that you and I had gone through for the Semitic Commonwealth, the Arab-Israeli plays, the Palestinian-Israeli conflict plays. And those plays, there must be tens of them, and we had to filter through a good number, I'd say almost 50 plays, uh, that we eventually came down to six for the Semitic Commonwealth reading series. But this is a massive body of plays. Now, not all these plays have been produced, but at least they're out there in the world, and hopefully they will be produced in the future, or at least get readings. I really like how you're breaking this down, and I want to I, I want to return sure. to these uh, these categories, yes. these 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 headers. Um, so at Silk Road, we we have this idea called the playwright protagonist rule right. uh, that the playwright is a, is of what we call a Silk Road background. 
Asian or Middle Eastern, uh, and the protagonist shares that background. So Arab-American playwright, Arab-American protagonist, Korean-American playwright, Korean-American protagonist, uh, and, and so on. So, so for us, and I, I know I spoke about this in an earlier episode, it was about, it is about a certain subjectivity. Uh, and the idea that representation begins at home with the authorial voice. So that is what has always made it a Middle Eastern American play uh, in terms of, of a kind of, of ownership of voice. Uh, but we're, we're sort of testing the waters, you know, we're sort of looking uh, beyond that. Not to say we're abandoning playwright protagonists, uh, but maybe there are other ways to define what makes it uh, a Middle Eastern American play. So you've just articulated for us, you know, what we may call genres or, or, or types of plays. And I think all of them somehow speak to uh, the collective experiences. I think so many of us have the experience of, of going home or going to a homeland. Uh, and that does change us and that does change our identities and for better and for worse. Uh, I, I think we're all affected by uh, stories of persecution or experiences of persecution. We're all somehow expect, uh, uh, affected by uh, Israel-Palestine. Uh, I'm looking over at your, your and, and of course, you know, the stories that we, that emerge for us in country of origin or, you know, in the homeland, uh, which, which sometimes detach us from our Americanness or accentuate our Americanness. Uh, and that sense of being diasporic, that sense of being perhaps in exile uh, or, or, or perhaps in a different land is something that we are always negotiating. You know, how, how rooted or rootless are we? Um, but, but to this theme of, you know, what, who gets to determine if it's a Middle Eastern American play? You know, who is the arbiter? Right. Who has that power? Right. I'd, I'd love for you to... Well, if, if you're uh, talking about uh, critics, of course, critics are the ones that end up creating genres, right? The th uh, none of the writers that uh, wrote in the theater of the absurd genre thought they were absurdists, but when Martin Neslin came along and put them into a book and said, you're all theater of the absurd, all of a sudden they were all absurdists, basically. So I think that it, it really is up to us as scholars and critics to kind of create these genres, to create these categories, because the playwrights are just doing the work they're doing. A lot of them are just writing the plays that mean something to them, and they're trying to speak about the, the issues that mean something to them. So I would say that this is my framework. I don't think that it's the framework, but I think it's a framework to look at these plays. And the playwright protagonist model that, you, that Silk Road Rising utilizes does not work actually in opposition to this. It's actually very much a part of this, because most of these playwrights are talking about their own experiences, going back to Israel, for instance, or being persecuted themselves, going through an airport uh, checkpoint or going through uh, some sort of governmental persecution, uh, living in the diaspora, having parents that are survivors of the Armenian genocide or of the civil wars around the Middle East and what it's like to grow up with that post-trauma of their parents 
even though they were born here. Um, plays that are set in the homeland. I think a lot of us imagine what would life have been like for our grandparents or our parents back then, back there in the homeland. And so a lot of plays are about rewriting that history, reclaiming that history somehow. Um, reclaiming an Armenia that's been lost, for instance, from the Armenian point of view. And then plays about Israel-Palestine. I think it's, you know, I always call this conflict the bleeding head wound of the world, and we keep putting these band-aids on it. I think a lot of playwrights, especially of Israeli-Palestinian background, are desperate to find a kind of solution to this pervasive problem that has been going on for so many generations. And so I'm seeing that there's a lot of working through trauma in a lot of these plays, a lot of working through the issues that a lot of us inherit from our Middle Eastern backgrounds. And uh, these playwrights, I think, are doing an amazing job doing that kind of work. You, you spoke about Im imagining the lives of our parents or, or grandparents before they, they immigrated to the United right. States. I also wonder, what if they had not? Exactly. Uh, and, and, you know, I think theater becomes an opportunity to reflect on, could we, would we even exist? Uh, or exist, you know, as an approximation of the people that we are, uh, if there hadn't been that immigration experience. And, and how integral uh, that, how, you know, essential that is to uh, the choices we make as artists, uh, that we are connected to immigration, that we are connected to um, a very difficult and courageous choice that people before us made. And I think that's another defining characteristic of a Middle Eastern American play, is we are intrinsically tied to the homeland so to speak. A lot of us have dual citizenship. A lot of us travel back and forth. And uh, just recently, there's been this whole idea of disloyalty uh, by certain groups if they don't believe in a certain American politic. Uh, right. This idea that one sides with the, the homeland rather than the American homeland. Uh, you know, these are very complicated issues, but so many Middle Eastern American artists have family and ties to their homelands, uh, uh, their ancestral homelands, or even the ones that they were born in after they moved to this country and, and became uh, citizens, that they're constantly working through what it means to leave those places behind and what it means to live in this bi bicultural sphere where you're an American, but you're also of another place. You know, I, I often say that you know, Syria was the country that my father left, but he never really entirely left. Uh, and, you know, we have lots of family there. Uh, but it is not necessarily just part of my past. It is absolutely a part of my present, and it is part of my future. I don't know what that looks like exactly, but it is, it is, it is in that mix. Sure. Uh, and, and I think that that is uh, something shared, I think, that by so many Middle Eastern Americans, theater artists, or, or otherwise. So you are a, an Arab American, Middle Eastern American theater director, and, and, and scholar, and writer, and activist. And so, uh, but as a director, uh, let's say you are directing a, a Tennessee Williams play. You are directing a Shakespeare play. So you are outside of the body of, of Middle Eastern American theater. What, what is Middle Eastern American about that production that you've directed? Well, what's really interesting is, and I teach directing and I teach playwriting, etc. but what's really interesting is um, we've always had this idea that, well, if you're not Irish, you can direct a play about Ireland, but you have to do the research in order to direct the play. And so you take in Irish culture, you study Irish history, you study Irish characters. 
Um, I think that it's, it's that idea of the awareness of another culture that's not your own. Um, and and I, I've directed plays by Sam Shepard and Tennessee Williams and William Shakespeare and Arthur Miller, all of the above. Um, but when it comes to a Middle Eastern American play, there's a different kind of consciousness. It's not just about research. It's not just about understanding the culture. It's also about that sort of personal connection I have to the culture. Um, so if I'm, I, recently I directed a play about Israel-Palestine, um, and I sat down and I interviewed a Palestinian friend of mine who grew up in Palestine uh, and asked her, what was it like growing up in occupation? What was it like to live through that? What are the things you went through? You know, I knew so many Palestinians growing up, so I brought that sort of embodied cultural knowledge to the production in a way that maybe I wouldn't with a Shakespeare play, uh, even though, yes, I've been to Stratford on Avon and I've studied Shakespeare, etc. But there's this sense of the depth of connection to the Middle Eastern experience that I feel I bring to these plays that takes whatever work I do to another level, another a deeper, more emotional, cathartic level that maybe I wouldn't have doing a play by uh, a writer from a culture that I'm not particularly affiliated with specifically. Similarly, a Middle Eastern American actor or a Middle Eastern American designer being involved in a production. I, I, I want to think that there is something that is being brought to the table that would not otherwise be brought to the table. Something from our heritage, our backgrounds, our, uh, you know, whatever relationship we have to a language other than English uh, that gets, becomes part of the mix. And yet, you know, on the flip side, just because someone happens to have Middle Eastern heritage or Arab heritage or, you know, Armenian heritage doesn't make them an authority. No. Um, and, and all too often there is this assumption that, well, so-and-so is in the room, uh, so they're giving us the sort of, you know, the cover that we need and they're fine with everything. Uh, and this person might be very detached or just, you know, supremely disinterested uh, in, in their heritage or background or, or have a very sort of, you know, superficial connection to it. Yeah. As I say, it's not always about your DNA. <laughs> uh, just because you may have the DNA of a place does not mean you have the embodied cultural knowledge. So I think it's incumbent upon us as Middle Eastern American playwrights, actors, directors, designers, uh, all of the above. I think it's incumbent upon us to know more about our cultures, the embodied practice of our cultures, the languages of our cultures, the history of our cultures. I mean, for me, that's the hard work that really needs to be done. Even whether you were born there or born here, you really need to take that deep dive and to, to really, I think, bring this sort of, and I hate to use the word authenticity, but the kind of cultural authenticity that you want to bring to a production. The worst thing you can do is work on a production and get details wrong. You know, the Arabic is written from left to right, for instance, or you put somebody in the cultural dress of a different nation rather than the nation of the play itself or the culture of the play. Um, you know, these are things that are incumbent upon us as artists to do the hard work in order to understand. And if we don't understand that, I really wish more of us would take a pass and say, you know what, I'm not the right director for this. Maybe somebody else should do this who is more uh, versed in this culture in order to make this a better production. You know, I think those are, those are the kinds of sacrifices we perhaps should be making more of rather than just instantly jumping at the opportunity and taking a production that maybe we're not really meant to be
be a part of. And DNA, blood lineage, not always being the, the credential. Precisely. Uh, you, you mentioned the word authenticity. And, <laughs> and uh, I put that in quotes, but yes, right. I did. And, and you know, f it is problematic it on, is. on any number of levels. Uh, but what, you know, let's, let's run with it. Uh, the authentically Middle Eastern American play, okay. uh, you know, does that exist? And, uh, and, and if so, how does that exist? Well, I think we have to be very clear that there are Middle Eastern plays and there are Middle Eastern American plays. Middle Eastern plays are very interesting. They, they have a different feel to them, especially if they're in translation. That's another situation. But, you know, there is something to be said for a play by a Palestinian living in, say, Gaza, writing about living in Gaza under occupation. That is different from, say, an Arab-American play, uh, Arab-American-Palestinian writer who was born and raised, say, in Michigan, writing about a life in Gaza. There, there is a filter. There, there are lenses through which that person might be looking at that situation if they've never lived in Gaza or experienced occupation in Gaza. So I think that those are two different kinds of plays. And I think that we just need to be clear that a Middle Eastern American play is not always going to give you that sort of authenticity, if you will, of a Middle Eastern play, because there is something about the embodied experience of living under civil war in Yemen or living under um, the uh, you know, genocidal uh, uh, conditions that some people lived under under the Islamic State. Um, the, these are very different things that I think we need to be very clear about and to not, um, not try to sell, for instance, sell a play as a Middle Eastern play when it really it's a Middle Eastern American play, because those are just different genres, really, if you think about them. And authentically Middle Eastern American may be that diasporic story, exactly. may be that story of exile. Precisely, or, or and there's nothing wrong with that. That is its own unique genre in and of itself. I would say on the, on the other side, perhaps those writers in the Middle East can't understand the diasporic ex experience if they've never had it themselves, if they've only lived in the country of origin in the Middle East. So it, it does go both ways. On, on, on several occasions, we've heard from both Arab and Iranian nationals or people who immigrated to the U.S. that, oh, that isn't, that isn't really Arab, that's, that's Arab-American, that's right. or that's, you know, Iranian-American. Sure. It's somehow, um, it's, it's, you know, it's compromised. Uh, and I always respond, it, well, it is really Arab-American. It, <laughs> it is. is really, you know, it is a product of, of a hybrid uh, experience and identity. It's, it's, it's a product of someone who is of American culture uh, and very informed by the culture and, and history and traditions of homeland. Absolutely. However we want to define American culture, <laughs> right. however we want to define Arab culture or, you know, and that these can never be fixed. They can never be etched in stone. They, and it, it, it doesn't help anyone to say, well, that's not real enough or oh. that's not true enough no. or... No, I mean, I, there, there were several critiques that, that were leveled at a play that I had directed about the Palestinian experience recently where they, the, several Palestinians came and said it wasn't brutal enough. You know, the occupation is much, much more brutal than that play showed. Yeah. And, and the response of the playwright was, I wasn't trying to tell, show the brutal story. I was trying to show the everyday degradations that occur yeah. under occupation. I, I wasn't showing the broken bones and the shattered bodies. I yeah. was showing the everyday degradation of being stopped at a checkpoint or being harassed by a soldier or whatever it may yeah. be. So I think those are different stories that, and both have great value. I don't think it has to be an either or. I think it's a both and. 
And our theater artists, our playwrights, our directors, our actors, our designers should have the right to tell different stories, pieces of stories, um, you know, to, to give a specific angle, a specific perspective. Uh, and and that, that flexibility, that opportunity to not, or, or, or not to bear the burden of telling everyone's story right. or the entire story. Uh, because that is afforded to so many other artists. And so I think it is unfair, you know, it's an unfair expectation. Um, and when someone from the community will call something out as, well, you're not talking about this or you're not showing this, uh, without giving the playwright, you know, or the, the collaborative team a sort of benefit of the doubt, sure. you know, but they're telling this story and this is how they choose to tell it. And, um, you know, and I think those conversations and those arguments and those debates are in the big picture probably healthy, yeah. um, but they can oftentimes frustrate us. Yeah, I think, I think critique has its place. Uh, my, m the only thing I would say to somebody is, you know, critique what's there, not what isn't there. So don't, don't say, well, it isn't such and such play because that's not what it was meant to be. It was meant to be this play. So focus on what the playwright gave or the production gave and critique those things perhaps, but try not to base your entire critique on what you didn't see in right. the play because of another play that you expected. And, and, and that it somehow failed to tell my story Precisely. and Because it's impossible to tell everyone's story. The problem, of course, Jamil, is that we're living in a time where one person becomes representative of many. Right. You know, we don't have right. 15 playwrights telling the Yemeni story of war. Right. We might have one, right? And yeah. so the, the onus becomes on this one playwright to try to tell too many stories when maybe they're, they, you know, they just can't. It's, it's, it's not and, possible. And that burden becomes unbearable exactly. that, and, and untenable. That's true. Um, so I really like the adage, uh, and we actually have this poster in our theater lobby, uh, nothing about us without us is for us. Uh -huh. uh, and, and I think that you know, there's so much that, uh, you know, in that, in that, in that saying, uh, that, that informs our mission. Sure. Um, and there is this idea of theater, um, you know, bias about us for us. Uh, and I sometimes push back on the for us piece of that uh, because I like to say it is bias about us for all. Yeah. Uh, and that, you know, I, I, as we spoke earlier um, in the previous episode, you know, that, that, you know, finding the universality in, in our specificity, sure. you know, the ability of someone to see themselves in our stories, uh, but not locking it in our specificity, not making it, not rendering it inaccessible somehow, you know, that I don't have a way to enter the world of the story. And, and I think it is, it is incumbent upon us to, uh, to craft our stories and, and, you know, whether as a playwright, as a director, as an actor, in a way uh, that invites people, that invites everyone. I agree. And I, I think, unfortunately, too many of our audiences, Middle Eastern American audiences, are bifurcated between the the theater they're comfortable with. So for instance, Arab American audiences love music, comedy, uh, they love dance, they love all of those things. They're, they're not as enamored with dramas, the sort of strict spoken dramas. Um, and I, I wish that there was more crossover between those groups. Um, I, I worry sometimes that our, our communities become fixed on, well, if it's a play in Arabic with Arabic music and Arabic song and Arabic dance, I'm interested in going. But if it's a play about 
politics and if it's dramatic and somewhat tragic, I'm not really interested in that. And I wish that those two the groups would cross over. Likewise, those of us who in the Arab American community who are more comfortable just watching spoken dramas, I wish would take more time to go and visit and see plays that are perhaps all in Arabic or all in another language and just take in that experience. I think that we need more cross-fertilization, if you will, between those genres. And probably multidisciplinary type Absolutely. of, you know, and multimedia and, you know, that, that, that blending of, of genres or, or arts or, um, and, and that we don't always have to follow a strict, you know, sort of Anglo-American narrative arc structure. That's right. I mean, there's something, there's lots of things so wonderful and beautiful about that structure. Sure. Uh, and, and certainly Middle Eastern American playwrights have, have benefited to a great deal by, you know, working within that. But I think that bringing in a cultural appreciation for poetry, uh, for types of music, for types of dance, uh, without appealing to an exoticizing or fetishizing or sentimentalizing um, uh, instinct uh, or draw. Uh, I, I think there's something to be said for that. Yeah, and I think our female solo performers have done that beautifully. Yes, yes Andrea absolutely. Assef and Heather Raffo and Leila Buck and so many great solo artists are doing the work where they're bringing poetry, they're bringing nonlinear storytelling, they're eschewing the playwright protagonist, uh, right. uh, the, sorry, the protagonist antagonist model rather. Yeah. Um, they're they're focusing much more on on the use of music and poetry as as the form itself. So I think that that work is being done, interestingly enough, mainly by females. Yeah. in our genres, and I think that's exciting. And uh, so there are ways to break free of that sort of classical Euro-American playwriting model. And solo work, you know, on its own, you know, becomes this wonderful vehicle for breaking and shattering and rethinking and, you know, reforming it does. Uh, storytelling. And I, I don't think it's a, it's a coincidence that, that women are at the forefront, uh, particularly women who weren't given opportunities uh, in, in mainstream forums. That's for, right for sharing stories. A heartfelt thank you to our guest, Dr. Michael Malik-Najjar, for such inspiring conversation, and a big thanks to you, our listening audience, for joining us at In Dialogue. Bravo to Alex Gresh for recording and editing this episode, and to Andy Lynn for production managing our show. Over the next three episodes, we'll be continuing our exploration of the Arab American and Middle Eastern American theater movements with Dr. Michael Malik-Najjar. In our next episode, Malik and I will be exploring a somewhat controversial question. Are Arab Americans and Middle Eastern Americans white? This podcast is a project of Silk Road Rising. As a nonprofit organization, we rely on the support of those who engage and enjoy our work. We hope that you will support our ongoing efforts and consider making a donation. To do so, please visit our website at www.silkroadrising.org. That's silkroadrising.org. Click on donate and thank you for your support. Until next time, keep helping the world heal.